And today we're continuing our series on what Jesus believed. Good morning to those of you who are watching online. November the 28th, there's ice on the roads, but I'm telling you, it's really nice and toasty in here, okay? And by the way, those of you who are online, uh, let me remind you, on the 12th, we will have no stream in lieu of the movie, but if you're looking for a moment to test the waters a little bit and to actually come out, I, I, we have been meeting here since April, May, and uh, we mitigate, people are masks, we have hand sanitizer, we've got plexiglass in front of singers, and you know everything is, is done very well here, and we've had no cases. Uh, so if you want to come out, uh, you can, but uh, we will not have a stream that day on the 12th. All right, so talking about what Jesus believed, and today about us. Thought it would be good to uh, think about that, because Jesus has some stark things to say, uh, well, about just about everything. But he does say things about you and me, uh, and about humanity. And uh, those things, as with most things that Jesus said, raised some eyebrows. So what I'm going to do is give you, just like I've done over the last few weeks, just some little pieces, uh, because you could spend weeks on each one of these topics. Uh, so I'm giving you little, little pieces, but I want to challenge you. Uh, this Christmas season, get in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read the stories of Jesus' birth. Read the stories of his life and the things that he did, the things that he said, and his death and his resurrection. When you read Jesus and uh, you get into his mind, you will start to become more and more Christ-like. That's what disciples do. Uh, so I want to talk about today, what did Jesus believe about us? Just a few little pieces. Uh, number one, a little bit of ringing, you guys, and you're working on it. Thank you very much, Kingston and Omar there. Uh, uh, Jesus, and this would be a sermon uh, to itself, uh, but Jesus was, uh, at least on two occasions that we see in the Gospels, amazed at us. Uh, and you might want to know, well, what amazes Jesus about us? Well, faith does. Uh, our faith or our lack of faith. Jesus it was amazed by these things. And here uh, you have a couple of little stories. One of them, sounding good, the much better guys, one of them is a story of a centurion, a Roman centurion who's not a Jew. And Jesus is stunned at this man's faith. It's in Luke chapter 7, uh, verses 1 to 10. The picture on the screen, by the way, is also from the Chosen TV series, which I'm challenging you to also watch, help you give you a picture, a little bit follows the contours of the Gospels very well. You can stream it to any device now, I think. So Jesus here is interacting with this Roman centurion. He's a commander. He's a military man. And uh, he's got a big problem. He has a servant, a person who's under his leadership, who's quite sick, and he's about to die. And the centurion hears about Jesus, and he sends uh, some elders of the Jews to him. He appears to be a God-fearing Gentile, uh, a non-Jew, but who chose to worship and chose to revere the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They call these people God-fearers. And uh, he sends some elders of the Jews to Jesus and asks him to come to heal his servant. And so when they come to Jesus, they plead with Jesus and they say, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and he has built our synagogue. So definitely a God-fearing man. 
So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. Uh, just came into my mind now, uh, Harry Britton, who we prayed for last week, uh, who had had a heart attack, is much, much better. And he is at home and was uh, debating coming out today, uh, but the damage is, is much less than what was expected. And this is a senior man. Uh, so he sent me a little email last night, the power of prayer in bold letters. Uh, so he thanks everyone for uh, their prayers, okay? Uh, so this man, he says, you know, all you have to do is say the word. You don't even have to come into my house. I'm not worthy to have you come into my house for I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. That one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. So you're the same. All you have to do is say it, and it's done. Verse 9, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. He's not even Jewish. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith, even in Israel. Wow. Then the men, the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. He is amazed. He believes people are capable of great, great faith, but at the same time, people's lack of faith also amazes Jesus. Mark chapter 6, the famous story of when he goes to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples, the Sabbath comes, he goes and teaches in the synagogue, as is the custom of many who hear him were amazed at what he's saying. Where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Uh-oh, not much faith. Isn't this Mary's son? And doesn't he have brothers? You know, James, Joseph, Judas, Simon. Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. He's in his own hometown, uh, Capernaum. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town. Quoting from the Old Testament, among his relatives and in his own home. And he could not do many miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. No big deal, apparently. And he was amazed, verse 6, at their lack of faith. Faith in people amazes Jesus. He believes that People were capable of great, great faith, but at the same time, a lack of faith. Uh, number two, uh, Jesus believed we were of great and are still of great, great value. Uh, you see this, for example, tucked into the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Uh, this is an amazing sermon of Jesus and he says uh, in a little part of it, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. How appropriate for the 21st century. What you will eat or drink about your body, what you will wear is not life more than food. And the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they now, you think about that, and that flies in the face of modern thought 
where, you know, if we're here as products of time and chance, then a bird is just as valuable as a person. And, a, you know, there's, there's no real difference. We're all products of time and chance. Well, not to Jesus. He says you are of much more value than they, presumably because we're created in the image of God. Can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour to your life, and he challenges them to believe and to have faith and to trust in God. But you see how much he values people. Another little piece in Matthew chapter 20. Here you have uh, a bold mother of James and John Zebedee who foolishly comes to Jesus and says, uh, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit on your right and the other uh, on your left in uh, your kingdom. So she wants a place of power and authority and standing and of prestige, spiritual prestige for her boys. And Jesus says, you don't know what you are asking. There's a sermon in there. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? And they say, we can. Jesus says to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. He's probably speaking about the way that they would die. When the ten heard about this, as the other disciples, they too want spiritual authority, power, prestige. They were indignant with the two brothers, and they called them together. Uh, Jesus called them together, and he says, he's going to teach them a lesson here. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. In other words, those folks believe in this whole thing of, of power and prestige and high standing, and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave or servant today. Just as the Son of Man did not come, referring to himself, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why would he do that? Apparently, he thinks that humanity is very, very valuable, believes that we are of great value and importance, so much so that he would give his own life for us. Another little observation, Jesus was not naive about the fallenness of man and of humanity. So this is tucked into John's gospel here, and he's the only one who picks up on this. It's just, just really jammed in there, and you, your, your mind can skip over it as you read. But it is a powerful, powerful observation um, that John actually makes when he's looking at Jesus. And so he's in Jerusalem at the Passover. There's several Passovers that Jesus was in Jerusalem for in the Gospels. But during this one, uh, it says, many believed in his name as they observed his signs, which he was doing. But notice the reaction from Jesus. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them. Because he knew all people. And because he did not need anyone to testify about mankind. 
for he himself knew what was in mankind. Wow, it's a strong, uh, a strong statement. You know, I, I've heard a, a message on this, and um, it was a leader who was talking to leaders, and he said, he said, it's not that you don't trust other people, but you don't entrust yourself to other people. Jesus entrusted himself to the Father, as we should. But you should trust other people. I mean, you can't live your life not trusting other people. It's pretty hard to live that way. You have to, you have to give a little bit of trust. But you entrust yourself to God, this, this leader was teaching. And here, what's going on is Jesus knows he's playing the tape forward. And he's not going to give them what they may want, which is probably to make him some sort of military king. Uh, so he's not going to go that route. Maybe that's what this is talking about. But he knew all people. He knew what was in mankind. And the assumption here of John is that it's not so good. It's not so good. There's a bent inside of us that's being identified here. And if Jesus entrusts himself to them, things are not going to go well. And it's sad, but it's real. And Jesus is not naive about the reality of the fallenness of humanity. He's not naive about this. Uh, some of these depictions of Jesus, you know, especially some of the older movies and TV series that came out, my goodness, I mean, Jesus is so naive in those things. He, he's, he's like, a, I don't know, it's not the Jesus of the Gospels in some of those presentations. He's so naive. He's such a nice little guy. You know, he has got a little halo on his head and his face is always glowing. Read the Gospels, folks. That is not the Jesus of the Gospels. Yes, he's filled with love and compassion, uh, but Jesus is quite direct with people. Jesus gets right to the point, and he is not naive about people. What do we see when we survey the current events of today? Yes, people are capable of great, great things. Absolutely. But wow, are people capable of terrible things and the depravity that we sometimes see. And we wonder, how can people be capable of committing such acts? Uh, Jesus was not naive to this. So it, it flies in the face of uh, the modern thought, which sometimes says, well, you know, people are born innocent and they're, they learn bad behavior. They learn racism. They learn these things. Mm, I don't think Jesus believed that. Uh, you don't see this sustained in the Gospels. You don't see this sustained in the rest of the New Testament. What you see is there's a fallenness that we've got inside of us. And we've got to be aware of that. And we have to be dealing with that and not be naive to it. And Jesus most certainly was not. He did not need anyone to tell him about mankind, for he himself knew what was in mankind. He believed we were capable of great hypocrisy. If you read the Gospels, what you will find is curious because a lot of, a lot of what you're reading has to do with religious view. And the religious view of Jesus, his view of himself, it comes into stark contrast and conflict all the time. It seems like the people who the religious people didn't like 
the, the, the marginalized, the sinful people, uh, the broken people, those are the people who gravitate to Jesus and follow Jesus. I mean, he's got the tax collector on his team. Like, those people were loathed by the Jews because they were like traitors. You know, here you are, a Jewish person, and yet you're working for Rome, taking these taxes from us. Traitor. And Jesus puts a traitor on his team. You know, he, he has people who follow him, who... Uh, uh, broken people, immoral people, sinful people. He's, he has community with uh, drunkards, they say, and they, they criti- the religious people criticize Jesus, but Jesus has his following of these marginalized people. It makes him so attractive to us today. Um, and yet, when he runs into the ultra-religious, there's this big conflict, serious, serious conflict. So a lot of what you read in the Gospels is dealing with that conflict. And Jesus is not intimidated by this at all. And probably the strongest indictment that you see from Jesus is in Matthew chapter 23. Um, You know, I I sometimes chuckle to myself when people say, I don't want to go to the church. You know, the church is filled with hypocrites. Well, Jesus would probably agree with that statement. Just hear me out for a moment. All of us, at one point or another, are guilty of hypocrisy. So I sometimes tell people, well, you're right. Why don't you come and be one of the hypocrites with us? <laughs> and we can, all, we can all learn not to be hypocrites together. <laughs> but Jesus is not shy in calling out hypocrisy. And uh, here in this chapter, he's going to use that word over and over and over and over and over again. He is going to tear into the ultra-religious like it's jusqu'au bout là with him and these people in Matthew 23, as we say in Quebec, and he's going to tear into them. And he uses a word there that we translate hypocrite. It meant um, an actor. So back in the Greco-Roman world, you had these plays that they would do, these stage plays, or sometimes they do them out in the street, and these people would have these masks, and they'd put these masks on. It was on like a little stick, and they'd put a mask on, and they'd act out a part, and then they'd switch a mask. And those were the actors, and the, the word that he uses is the same word. And he says, you all religious folks here who are always, you know, you always have issues with me, I'm telling you, and he gets into them here, and he's got a crowd of people, and he says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the people who teach Moses, the people who teach Torah, the Pharisees, the ultra-religious, those who say, we are separate from sin, we are the guardians of righteousness, we are God's policemen, we are the ones who protect Israel from from uh, sin and from, uh, from corruption, and we, we are the policemen of purity. You know, Jesus talks about them, and, they, and he says they sit in Moses' seat. That was a place in the synagogue. So you must be careful to, to do everything they tell you. That's what they're trying to tell you, these people. But do not do what they do. Don't follow them, Jesus says, for they do not practice what they preach. They don't do what they tell you to do. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is for people to see, Jesus says. They make their phylacteries wide. A phylactery was a little box that had uh, the, the Shema in it, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. 
and they put it in this little box and they would tie it around their arm or put it on their forehead and Jesus says, oh, they make those phylacteries so wide for all the people to see and the tassels on their garments are so long. They're so religious. They're so spiritual. And they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. And they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and be called rabbi by others. And you can just see Jesus saying, and on and on and on it goes. <laughs> you know? And he's on a, a rant here. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, referring to himself, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah, the Christ, referring to himself. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then he's going to address the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're actors, he says. You're acting to the people and you are wrong and wow the price that Jesus is going to pay for this he doesn't care he's going to call them out because he sees their hypocrisies you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces and you yourselves do not enter nor will, will you let those enter who are trying to woe to you teachers of the law Pharisees you hypocrites he says it again you travel over land and sea to win a single convert. But when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Wow, that is strong, strong stuff. Gehenna is the word. Gehenna was a garbage dump outside of Jerusalem that was always on fire. In the Old Testament, they did terrible things. It has a terrible history there, and they turned it into this garbage dump. And Jesus uses it as a metaphor for the hell of the afterlife. Wow, this is a strong, strong condemnation. Woe to you blind guides, he says. Imagine a person trying to be a guide and they're blind. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, is bound by that oath. You blind fools, he says. Which is great? This is Jesus talking. Amazing. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on the altar, is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and, anyone who, and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it to swear meant to make an oath, to make a promise. And he's saying, you're, you're, you're actors, you're fools, you're blind. Again, verse 23, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. Spices, they even tithe their spices. Not, talk, not even talking about money here, even their spices. And he says, you tithe, you give a tenth of your spices, you bring it to the temple. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter. Jesus doesn't oppose tithing, okay? <laughs> if we didn't have tithing, we wouldn't be able to run any of Church wouldn't exist today if people didn't give. 
You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you sh this, this, is a, this sentence, I don't even know if I can read it. You strain out, just imagine what he's saying here. You strain out a gnat. You know what a gnat is? This little black little kind of bug. You ever have gnats in your house? Or we, you strain, I can't believe this is Jesus talking. You strain out a gnat, and you, but you swallow a camel. Wow, what, what a statement he's making. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are filled. You're full of greed and self-indulgence, blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. I mean, he says it over and over again. Watch this one. You are like whitewashed tombs. A whitewashed tomb. They would take a tomb and they would paint over it with this kind of uh, uh, whitewash to make it not look like what it really was, a tomb that had a corpse in it, which looked beautiful on the outside. But on the inside, full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Can you imagine how angry the teachers of the law and the Pharisees are right now as they're listening to Jesus? He's got a crowd of people who are watching this. This is not done over in a closed room. This is out in public, and he is calling these people out. I bet you the people would say, oh, he's got them so good. He's got, he, this is what we always wanted to say to them, but we're too afraid to say it. Jesus is not afraid. Can you imagine how they how they loved him at that moment, the people who followed him, because they saw the courage and the truth that he's bringing out in his statements. Wow, would they ever gravitate to him? Because they knew that these things were true, but they're too scared to do anything about it. Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Because the prophets were, were essentially killed by their own people. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. Calling out their hypocrisy. And now he's going to say this now. You have to understand, first century Middle East desert heat. You snakes. You brood of vipers. You're a, you know what you are? He says, you're a snake pit. Wow, that is the highest insult. How will you escape? I can't believe that Jesus, how will you escape from being condemned to hell? Wow, does he dislike hypocrisy? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers, some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. Speaking of the persecution that will come to people who will preach the gospel. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah 
the son of Berechiah. This is, uh, he's naming the first book of their Old Testament and the last book of their Old Testament. So he's saying the whole thing. Whom you murdered between the temple and the altar, truly I tell you, all of this will come upon this generation. Wow, I mean, it's, it's, it, it makes you uh, sort of throw up your pen and say, my goodness, I mean, this is fierce what he's saying. But Jesus called it out. And so he believed that we are capable of hypocrisy. And he detests this in people. He detests it. And we detest it today, and as well, we should. Uh, but we need to be real careful because oftentimes we are guilty of it. And sometimes, you know, in the church, the religious legalism uh, that sometimes happens is eerily similar to some of these things and some of these ways that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law imposed this stuff upon people for year after year after year. And Jesus finally speaks prophetically against this. And uh, lastly, Jesus believed that the problem with humanity is in the heart. It's in the heart of people. Because uh, there, you, you even see it back in, in their time, this business of you know, looking good on the outside, looking good culturally. So uh, Mark chapter 7 and the background here, again, Pharisees, teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem, gather around Jesus, and they see some of his disciples, get this, eating foods with hands that are defiled. Kind of funny when you think about COVID, right? It's not the same thing. This is a sp uh, religious cleansing was necessary back in their time and all of this. And so they're looking and saying, whoa, Jesus' disciples, they're eating food. And their hands are defiled. They're unwashed. They didn't do a spiritual washing before they eat. And it says parenthetically here, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing. Mark just gives us the information, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they, uh, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, Mark says, such as a washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. And so the Pharisees, teachers of the law, they come, they ask Jesus, so you're going to catch him. Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Watch what Jesus says. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. Starts with H. Hippocrates. He says again, as it is written from Isaiah, the major prophet, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions, Jesus says. And he continues, you know, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, he's going to put them in a corner here. Moses said, honor your father and your mother. That's the law. That's the Torah. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Leviticus, Torah. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is now korban, that means it's devoted to God. So you're taking what you rightly owe your parents your father and mother, as you're supposed to honor them according to your law. But no, 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 no. You take that and you say, no, this is korban. 
it's devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father and their mother. You're not letting people respect their parents by putting this religious spin on it. It says, no, 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 it's not for them. It's korban. It's for God. It's for the temple. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Wow. And Jesus calls the crowd to him, and he says, listen to me. And understand this, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. It's not what goes in. It's what comes out of their life. They're not going to be defiled by not washing their hands or not playing these religious games that these teachers of the law and these Pharisees tell you to play to make yourself look so good on the outside. No, 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 no. The problem, he says, is what's inside of you. And when it comes out, that's what defiles you. And after he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this. What do you mean? And he, Jesus says, are you so dull? Wow. Sometimes I read the Gospels and I, I, and I feel like Jesus is telling me the same thing. Don't you? Because I don't understand it either. And it's like, I feel like he's saying to me, are you so dull? Like, you're a pastor. You don't get it? You don't get what I'm saying? No, sorry, Jesus, I don't get it. Like, don't feel condemned, okay? We're all a little bit dull. But Jesus said, are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? He's trying to teach them. Now, they're in a context where you've got all these kosher rules, right? This is kosher. This isn't kosher. Da, 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 da. So in that context, it would make sense. For, for it doesn't go into their heart, but it goes into their stomach. That's all, but not the heart. And then it goes out of the body, but that's not the heart. And in saying this, Mark says, parenthetically, Jesus declared all foods clean. Forget about the kosher ceremonial rules. It's a moot point. He's saying the problem is in your heart. That's where the issue is. It's not the food you're eating. It's the condition of your heart. And he says what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within. Out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. It's not what you see on the outside. It's what's on the inside of the person. I'm always amazed when I look at people's profiles on social media. And I do that. <laughs> when I meet somebody, you do the same, right? You meet somebody, well, let's see if they've got a profile somewhere that I can see, learn a little bit about this person, you know. And you see the presentation that the person wants you to see, right? That's, that's who they allegedly are. But that's not who they are. That's what, you, that's what they want you to see. That's not who they are. And I have discovered over and over and over again, and I tell myself, don't believe everything you see on that profile because that is a picture that the person wants you to see but that most likely is not who they are and it's from within that you find out who they are it's not in this nice airbrushed presentation where they pick and choose and show you 
Now, again, sometimes people are foolish on social media platforms, and, you know, they post videos of themselves doing things that, you know, the, their next potential boss might look at that and say, well, I'm not hiring you because I saw this video that you put on social media. But in general, we put on there a presentation of ourselves that is not the true us. Uh, Jesus has a famous conversation with a religious leader who's a bit different because he's quite open-minded to Jesus. Uh, Nicodemus, brilliantly played, by the way, in The Chosen. I have not seen a Nicodemus this good in any of the Jesus movies, TV specials, ever. Amazing presentation of Nicodemus here. And he comes to Jesus uh, kind of secretly at night, wants to have a conversation with him. He's on the Sanhedrin. That's the court, the Jewish ruling council. And you see Nicodemus definitely has some type of conversion experience because at the end, after Jesus dies, he's quite sympathetic to uh, Jesus and his burial and so on. And we learn by reading the Gospels that he, he has become a follower of Christ. Slow transformation process. A bit like C.S. Lewis, who you'll watch in a couple of uh, weeks. He comes to Jesus at night. He says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God. No one could do the things that you do unless God were with him. And Jesus says, gets right to the point. I, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Implication, including you, Mr. Sanhedrin member. How can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. He counters to Jesus. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, no one, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You need a spiritual transformation, Nicodemus. You need to be born of the Spirit, you should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus says. He says, you know, you're a teacher. You're Israel's teacher, Nicodemus. And you do not understand these things. Neither do I when I read them, but he's, he's getting right into Nicodemus's business. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know. We testify to what we have seen, and still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man, referring to himself just as Moses. Remember Moses? Uh, Mr. Sanhedrin, remember? Remember when he lifted up the snake in the wilderness? And so there was a bronze serpent that Moses crafted and put it on a staff. And when the people looked at it, they were healed. Remember that story, Moses, or of, that Moses wrote about? And um, uh, uh, he says, uh, uh, it's the same thing. Uh, he uses this as, a, as an illustration. As Moses lifted up the snake, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him, referring to his crucifixion. And here's the verse that we all know. For God so loved the world. See the context? That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You need a transformation from the inside, even though you're religious. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Oh, the overwhelming, reckless love of God. But to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Resident evil playing on our movie screen here in an hour. <laughs> Every, we're fascinated by it, you know. I think it's part 12 of Resident Evil or so. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. So that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. It's what's inside of you. It's what's in your heart. You need to be born again. You need a spiritual transformation. You need the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow through your life and change you from the inside out. Even though you're a super religious guy, you're, you don't even know this, Nicodemus. You need to go back to school. <laughs> And Jesus in John chapter 5, and with this we'll close, and guys, you can come to the, to the stage and prepare yourself there. Uh, Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Not will have, but has. You can know you have eternal life now is the implication. And will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. You can experience this now when you hear my word and believe your, the crossover starts. You cross over from living in spiritual death to living into spiritual life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and is now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so is he granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Have you crossed over from death to life today? Have you experienced the transformation? Is that, is that a reality in your life? Or is, it, is there nothing there? Are you just stagnant? Or maybe you, you're playing religious games. Uh, this is not what God wants. He wants you to live life, abundant, full life that he wants to start in you and live through you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. Jesus, we thank you as you speak through the centuries to us in these powerful texts that we have preserved for us in the scripture. I pray, God, you would help us to take a look inside. And Lord, to, uh, to call out to you, we thank you for your grace and your mercy so real, Lord. Even though you, you, you speak so directly, you are yet so kind to us. You do not give to us what we deserve, God, but you give to us uh, eternal life and salvation and forgiveness and transformation. 
pray this prayer with me if you if, if you want to to experience moving from death to life Jesus I come to you as sinner have mercy on me and forgive me and transform me and accept me fill me with your spirit again that I may live differently with you as the God of my life I surrender to you amen Amen. I'm going to let the band uh, play and we're going to conclude the service. If you've prayed that prayer or something like it, why don't you come and see me? I would love to help you in your journey and take uh, some next uh, steps. If you want to give, we're out in the foyer. We can handle that uh, for you. Remember to register for the movie. I have a feeling people will be uh, last minute and spots will start filling up quickly. God bless you. Stay safe, stay warm, and uh, enjoy the rest of your Sunday today. Before I spoke a word, you were singing on.